for all of that. They're wonderful people, wonderful people. Thank you all for coming. Would you please stand with me out of honor for the word of the Lord? This is Romans chapter 3. I greet all of you people in this room, all the people watching this online, which this last week has staggered me how many responses that I've received across the country and in other places. And, uh, and just a lot of people watch this service. And so it's, uh, we're grateful for that and it's humbling. Romans 3, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Oracle is a word, it's a big word, it's an elastic word. Um, it, it can mean several things. One of the things it means is the, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. But it's bigger than that, and it's just uh, that these people, of course, were given the word of the Lord before anybody else was. So, that's what I'm going to give you a little lesson about today. I'm simply going to call it the Jewish advantage. And if you have a good attitude, you can sit down. Which, of course, leaves me standing alone. I think anti-Semitism or the hatred of the Jewish people is one of the great tragedies of history. The teachings, I mean, when you think of it, that there was no New Testament. Jesus and his disciples, their teaching came directly from the Old Testament. And when the church was established, there was lots of friction. And um, the early church really resented the, the devotion that uh, the Jews had. To, to the law, and uh, it basically developed into a, even to this day, a deliberate attempt to stay away from the Old Testament. And uh, even in Christianity, there's a lot of people, they want nothing to do with the Old Testament. But, but the Bible said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It said we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so, it's, you can't just take everything from Matthew on. And, um, and the tension and persecution of the church only increased as it grew and not only was a spiritual influence but ultimately became um, a legitimate political power in the world. And even though both Christians and Jews claim Abraham as their father, they claim to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was a massive shift and division between them. As a result of this, Jews developed a hatred of Jesus being called Messiah. And the church lost the richness of Jewish history and prophecy. And since a third of the Bible was prophecy, which is after all the very foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, everybody lost. And uh, Paul... Is, is, is addressing that in Romans 3. And he said, what difference does it make who's a Jew and who isn't? Who, 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 what difference does it make? Who's been trained in God's ways and who hasn't? And, and as it turns out, 
it makes a lot of difference. And um, I, uh, it's, it's, it's not everywhere, and it hasn't been often, but through the years, I've been criticized by people who say, well, why are you wasting all your time on, on those feasts and those days and that language? Who, who cares what the rabbis taught? And I feel sorry for people that look at it like that because my response is they've only been studying that Old Testament for 4,000 years. So don't you think there's a chance we might be able to learn something from them? You know, Paul, Paul in Romans chapter 11, this is what he said. And if some of the branches be broken off and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. What he's saying is, you, you Gentiles have been grafted into a Jewish tree. And as, he, as, he, as he's writing, he's saying, now, now don't you get too full of yourself. Because if God didn't regard the original tree, but cut them down and put us in their place, he'll get rid of us just like he got rid of them if we get too full of ourselves. Be, be, because he's warning us, the branch doesn't feed the root. The root feeds the branches, which is simple. We need to understand our Jewish roots. And, and my life changed when, when I realized that every detail in the Bible is there by supernatural engineering. I, I truly believe that every number, every name, every location... Even implied punctuation is there on purpose. And um, this is Jeremiah 1 and 12. It said, I will hasten my word to perform it. That's King James. The message says this, I will make every word I give you come true. The NIV said, I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. But my favorite is the Amplified, which says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. Jesus said something very powerful in, in Matthew 5, 7 and 8. He said, or um, it's 17 and 18. He said, think not that I have come to destroy the law. I, I'm not here to destroy the law. He said, I'm here to fulfill it. Or what I say, to fill it full of meaning. And then he said this, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. I'll give you an example. When, when Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill. He said, the law says, don't kill anybody. Don't commit murder. When it says, thou shalt not kill, it's based, thou shalt not commit murder. A lot of difference. And um, he said, the law said, don't kill. I say, don't get angry. And he said, so one is an action and the other is the attitude. He said, if you get the attitude right, you don't have to worry about killing anybody. The law says, don't commit adultery. I say, quit lusting. So if you fix the lust problem, you don't ever have to worry about committing the act. And so he filled the law full of meaning. And then he said, none of, I'm, this, I'm watching over my word. It's not, I, I'm, I'm, not going to disappear. Every jot and every tittle. 
So for years, I had the assumption that like there, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And if you think of a clock, the face of a clock, and put like a, a face of a clock on every Hebrew letter, around the perimeter of each letter, they have these little marks. And, um, the, the, you know, there are no vowels in the Hebrew alphabet like we have, like A, E, I, O, and U. And so you get that punctuation by these little marks around the perimeter of the letter. I thought that was jots and tittles, but it's not. Um, the 10th the letter of the Hebrew alphabet is, is, is very small. It's called Yod. It looks like this. I'm sure they have it on the screen behind me. No, most people think it's an apostrophe, but it's not. It's a very small letter. It, it is known as a jot. They'll put, a, they'll put a, a, a little chart behind me of Hebrew alphabet. These are the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Every one of these letters have something in common. Notice the little tails, the horns, the hooks on the top and bottoms of these letters. These are called tittles. What Jesus is saying is every detail in my word is important. It would be the equivalent of me today saying every T is going to be crossed and every I is going to be dotted and I'm going to watch it and make sure none of it disappears. That's what he was saying. Because the Old Testament is not just some boring collection of rules and history and prophecies, but it is in fact God's message of salvation to the world. And I've tried to prove that to you many ways, and I'll try again today. No wonder Paul wrote this in Romans 15. The things written aforetime, or the old stuff, was written for our learning. And one of my favorite scriptures is in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. He said, I have declared the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. And I, I, over the years, you know, I, I've... I hate reading off of a computer screen. I, I, I hate it. I hate it. I like books. I like to be able to hold a book, write in a book. I, I, I just like, I like to be in rooms with books. It makes me want to sit down and read. And it, it's just, I've got lots of books and a lot of Bible books. And I've got a lot of commentaries. Commentaries are people that have studied scriptures for many, many years. And they give their opinion or their comment about what a word or a verse means. But, but over the years, I've come to the conclusion that the ultimate commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, that you use Scripture to explain Scripture. This is Hosea chapter 12 and verse 10. I have also spoken by the prophets. I have multiplied visions and I've used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. The message says, I've given you clear pictures and revealing stories. A similitude, of course, is a, a figure of speech that describes something by liking it to something else. And maybe some of these words will be vaguely familiar to you from your English classes or vocabulary studies. But the Bible has similes, metaphors, parables, allegories and types used through the word to help us understand 
because I read something years ago and it always resounded with me. An educator takes a simple thing and makes himself look very smart by making it complicated. But a communicator takes a very complicated thing and makes it simple. And, and so that's my attempt here today is to try to take something that a lot of people just go, oh man, I'm never going to figure that out and just don't even try. This, it says in Corinthians 10 and verse 11, all these things happen unto them. It's talking about Israel in the Old Testament. All these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written, not for them, but they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And the Greek word there, it means image or pattern. I'll give you an example. In, in, in Exodus 16 and 12, God took this murmuring bunch of people and said, okay, I'm going to feed you. And he gave them manna. Every day they would walk out and it would be on the ground. And, and you could pick it up and it was, it was, it was uh, they had quail and they had manna. And um, it's daily bread. And it, it's a miracle that showed up. Six days every week. And uh, uh, it was only good for the day that you gathered it. If you tried to hoard it, uh, the Bible said it would be filled with worms. And you couldn't eat it. Uh, the one exception was the seventh day or the Sabbath. You could, he would allow you to pick up enough on the sixth day that would feed you during the seventh. And um, uh, God told Aaron... It was so precious. If you remember the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant is a, is a wood box that's dipped in gold. It's got a lid on it, a gold lid called the mercy seat. Inside of the box were three things. There, were, there was the rod of Aaron that budded, blossomed, and bore almonds overnight, which is a miracle because it had been cut off for many, 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 many years. Then there's the second set of tablets that the Lord gave to Moses. Um, Moses is the only guy that I know that broke all Ten Commandments at once. <laughs> and uh, so obviously the Lord gave him a second set. Those were placed in the ark. And um, if it was today, it was a Tupperware bowl. Uh, he took a, a, a bowl called an omer and filled it with manna and put it in the ark of the covenant. And um, it, it was, it's, it's, it's a type it's, a, it's an image of something because it's given to them freely. They didn't do anything to earn it. All they had to do was collect it. It fed them. It gave them life in a barren desert. You couldn't store it up. Why? Because God wanted you to have faith and depend on him that he was going to have it there for you the next day. And they criticized and they murmured and they complained and he saved them anyway. <laughs> and if you, there's a great type here, you know, be, be, because if all you do is listen to me preach on Sunday, you should not be surprised at this verse. It's in Psalms 106, it says, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. It's the equivalent of you eating once a week, all of your Christian walk. No wonder so many Pentecostals are lean and malnourished. Do you understand what I mean by type? 
Because the manna in the Old Testament is a type of the word of God in the New Testament. So you get that famous prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That we're not supposed to get up in the morning and walk outside and scoop something off your grass. But that you've got the written word. And you're supposed to get in the written word because it'll lead you to the living word. That's the type. That's, that's, that's the example. And, and that's just one reason why these feasts in Leviticus 23 are so important. But listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. I mean, you have a, you have a whole religion devoted to uh, honoring the Sabbath. And it's, this verse just destroys that. Because what Paul was saying is, don't let anybody judge you about the Sabbath or about the feast or about the holy days. Because the, the law in the Old Testament gives, clearly gives commandments concerning holy days and celebrations. But Paul was warning here, don't let anybody pressure you over who eats what. And if they don't separate from this, Israel was commanded to keep the feast because those feasts reveal the mystery God wanted them to see in the years to come. This, you know, the, the Sabbath, it, it's, it, it's like the feast. They're, they're, they're shadows, they're types, they're examples of a greater reality. And so the 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 the. the, the the festivals, the feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, they, they all have a historical significance, but, but, but they're pointing to something greater in, in the future. And the reason you keep doing them is so you won't miss the future fulfillment. Yes. The, the, the technical term is a word called heptatic, which means it's, it's based on a multiple of sevens. And, and if you are even a cursory student of the Bible, from the very beginning, there's six days and there's one. You work six days and then there's the seventh day. And, and the next Monday is not called the eighth day. It's the beginning of another series of sevens. It's just, there, there is something in the Bible known as the Feast of Weeks. Jews still celebrate. It's called Shabbat. It's what we call Pentecost. Seven Sabbaths and a day. Seven weeks plus one. Fifty days after first fruits. There, there is a Sabbath year they were commanded, uh, here's Leviticus 25 and verse 4. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. You can't sow or prune. Every seven years, the seventh year, you don't plant anything. And just like manna, God said he would bless the harvest on the sixth year to give you enough to take you through the seventh and give you seed for the eighth or the next cycle of seven. But, but it's fascinating because if you know your Old Testament, the 12 tribes were divided into Israel and Judah. And Israel went into captivity first. But you can find there's no place in the Bible where the Jews ever obeyed this verse. There's not one reference there that they ever let the land lay fallow on the seventh year. And it's fascinating because they, they lived there for 490 years until they were taken into captivity. So if you divide 490 by 7, you get 70. And that's how many years they were in bondage. It was like the Lord said, I'm going to give the land her rest. And that land's arid. It's, it's rocky. It's really not lush. And the point is, if God is so 
is watching over a bunch of dirt to see that that dirt has rest. The Bible said there remains a rest to the people of God. If God cares about rocks and dirt, how much do you think he cares about? Well, I guess we're still dirt. Okay. And, and, and so then you have Jubilee, seven Sabbaths of years. Every 50th year was Jubilee. Uh, Acts chapter 3 and, and verse 21 talks about the restitution of all things. That's, that's Jubilee language. Where every 50 years, all the slaves were freed. All the debts were forgiven. Everybody got the family farm back. And, and, and so I, this is a verse that we read, but it, it gained new significance to me in the last couple of months. It says, and let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and for years. So the sun and the moon and the division of light there, it's not just about day and night. But literally, God says here, days are going to be signs. And there are days set aside in the Old Testament, in Jewish lifestyle, that were, that were signs of something to come. Because the word for, for sign means appointed time. Another word for feast is a, is a Jewish word, mikra, which literally means the rehearsal. <laughs> and so in, in, in those Hebrew feasts of Leviticus 23, you have three spring feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. You go home for 50 days. You come back the second time to celebrate the fourth festival, which is called Pentecost. Then you go home for three months. Then you come back the third time in the fall to celebrate Trumpets, Atonement, Tabernacle. This is a picture of the flag of Israel today. This is what the flag, this is imprinted on the flag of Israel. It's a menorah. It's a candlestick. Now, if you've ever been around Orthodox Jews today, their menorah has nine candlesticks. And you say, why nine? Because they added one for something called Purim, which was to celebrate the time of Esther when the Jews were miraculously saved. And the ninth, which we call Jewish Christmas, Hanukkah. It's not Christmas. It's, trust me, it's not about Christ. <laughs> it's, it's about the Maccabees. But, but the original menorah in the book of Exodus has seven candlesticks. But notice how they're, look, look how they are. There's three to the left, one right in the middle by itself, and three to the right. It's a perfect image of the festivals. The spring festivals, three spring festivals, the one festival in the middle, Pentecost, and then the three fall festivals. It's, 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 it's a symbol. It's, these, are, these are holy convocations. These are, the, the, it, which literally means to keep an appointment. And so let's look at the last week of the life of Jesus, what took, which took place during the spring feast of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. I've heard for years about Palm Sunday and Good Friday, and, and I knew it, it can't work. It just can't work. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Because in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if you got Good Friday, then Jesus crucified on Friday, Friday evening, all day Saturday. He's got to be out of the grave by Sunday morning. So at tops, you got two days. 
uh, really a day and a half. That's not what Jesus said. You've got to get three days and three nights. And, and, and so um, I, I found, I've been working on this for months, but just, just, just pitch your mental tent here with me for a while and, and slow your mind to a thinker's pace and just walk with me for the next couple of minutes. Here's John chapter 12 and verse 1. And then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised, where, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. He could not have made this journey on a Sabbath. Because according to Acts 1 and 12, a Sabbath day journey is a half a mile. You can't walk more than a half a mile on the Sabbath. Which, which destroys the notion of him dying on Friday. He, he said there has to be three days and three nights. And so let's go back to the original Passover. Here's Exodus 12. In the tenth day of the month, you shall take to them every man a lamb. So on the tenth day, they chose a lamb. And they kept this lamb for four days to watch it, to make sure it was perfect. And then, according to Leviticus 23, the Passover is always on the 14th day of the first month. So the lamb is taken at the 10th. It's slain on the 14th. According to John 12, Jesus comes to the house of three of his great friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, six days. Six days before Passover, which means the eighth. And if we study the scripture, he was in Jericho. Jericho's where he healed Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, you know, it's 14 miles from Jericho to Bethany. It's a long walk. And so by the time Jesus shows up in Bethany on the eighth for with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it's it's, it's the evening. He stays with them until the 10th. It says in Matthew 21 and verse 17, And he left them, or he left the people in Jericho, and went out of the city into Bethany, where Mary and Martha was, and he lodged there. And this makes a lot of sense, because Exodus 20 said, Three times every year, all the men have to come to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice in the temple. Grandpa, dad, son, they're alive. They've all got to go. All the men have got to go. It also says that in Deuteronomy chapter 16. So Jerusalem is, is being overrun. There's no motel space. There's no place to stay. It only makes sense that he would stay outside of the city in Bethany with these friends. But he goes into Jerusalem on the 10th. Why? Because the lamb has to show up on the 10th. Now think of this. Here's, look at the typology. Here's all these people, hundreds, thousands of men that have brought their sheep, their lamb, to the priest for inspection to make sure it's perfect for the Passover sacrifice. And while they're presenting their lamb to their priest for inspection, for sacrifice, our high priest, who was the Lamb of God that took away the sea, he presents himself there for inspection as well. 
There's a, there's a great analogy here. Jesus called it a den of thieves. Here's what would go on. Let, let's say I, I have made the trip to Jerusalem and I want to uh, bring my lamb. So I bring my lamb to the priest and he looks at it and he says, um, sorry, but your lamb's got a flaw. And I, and I say, I, I've been watching this for four days. I, I, I think this lamb's perfect. He said, no, you're not a preacher. I, I can see things that you can't see. You, you got a flaw with your lamb. And it's like, well, well, what do I do? So, you know, he looks over at Esther Spicer and she goes. And he said, now we got a lady here named Sister Esther. And she's got a bunch of sheep. And here's the deal. She'll, she'll give you a sheep to take the place of this damaged sheep. Go talk to Esther. So I go to Esther and say, I, I need, I, I need a, another lamb. Esther says, oh, problem. And uh, she says, 20 bucks. So I, 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 I reach into my wallet and I pull out 20 bucks. And if I can get my wallet out of here. And... Uh, and I go to give it to her, and she says, oh, oh, wait a minute. That, that's Roman money. You don't have any temple money? I, I said, what do you mean temple money? So she looks over, you know, Carrie there. Winks. Carrie goes, no problem. She said, now, my, I, got a, I got a friend over here, Carrie. She's a money changer. You take your $20 over there and swap it for some temple money. So I take my 20 bucks to Carrie, and I say, here, I, I need, I need, here's 20 bucks, Roman. I need 20 bucks temple. And she says, oh, no, no, you understand. It's going to cost you 25 Roman to equal 20 temple. And I'm going, you're kidding me. And I realize I'm going to get no Chick-fil-A. You know, Tombo, that's not going to leave the light on for me. I only have so much money. And I'm, I'm starting to realize what's going on here. This is a scam. So I give Carrie my 25 Roman for 20 temple, take it back to Esther, give her the 20 temple. She looks at Carrie, they wink. She gives me a lamb. She winks at the priest. I take the lamb to the priest and he goes, yeah, that's a perfect lamb. But what he didn't tell you is the very lamb that I just bought was rejected by somebody just a couple hours before I showed up. Jesus called it a bunch of thieves. And, and, and it, was, it, it, it was horrible. And all, all this is going on, the perfect lamb is, 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 is coming into the city. And it's, 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 it's really amazing because this is a, this is a pivotal moment in history. Yes. This, this, this day right here is a big, big, big deal. This, just, just right before that, Jesus said, now I, 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 need, I need a young donkey. And uh, you go down the road two miles here, you'll see an old rusty mailbox. Go left. There, there, there's a horse and there'll be a donkey and a little one tied up. Just untie the young one and bring him to me. So they follow and they go down the road and, and, and make the left. And they're untying this young donkey. All of a sudden the dog starts barking. Screen door screeches. This old guy comes out on the porch and puts his fingers between the hames on his bib overalls. And he goes, uh, uh, what y'all doing with my donkey? And they just said one thing. The master needs it. And he said, oh, why didn't you tell me? I'm convinced that somewhere in the past, Jesus has either done something for this man or someone in his family. And he said, if you ever need anything, preacher, you just stop by my farm. I'll take you. I'll help you out. 
they bring this young donkey to Jesus. Hundreds of years before, Zechariah in chapter 9 prophesied, your king's coming. And he's going to be riding on the foal of an ass. He's going to be riding on a young donkey. He's, 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 he's riding into there. This, 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 is, this, this is the end of the 69 weeks. I wish I, I, I don't want to bury you in, in stale statistics. But in Daniel chapter 9, there's an amazing prophecy called the prophecy of the 70 weeks. I'll, I'll read you, I'll read you one, one, one. Here's Daniel 9 and verse Number 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So three score is 60 plus two is 62 plus seven is 69. There's 70 weeks in the prophecy, but we're dealing, this is the 69 week. And and the problem is, is in English, we think week is seven days, but the word week in Hebrew is Shabua, which means seven so it's 69 sevens. Now, now, there's people that are much smarter than I could ever be that have done a, a lot of work on this. And it's, it's really cool because it's saying the clock starts ticking when, when, when there is a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Which just by chance, we have that in the Bible in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is serving a king named Artaxerxes, and he goes before the king, and he said, I've, nev- I've never been depressed in the presence of the king, but I was on this day. And the king looks at him and says, why, 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 are, you, why are you despondent? Uh, another translation said the joints of his knees were loosed, because you can't serve around the king depressed. king's got too much on his mind to worry about you. People around him have got to be smiling and always on their best behavior. And all, this king picks up that Nehemiah is, is depressed. And he said, what's the problem? And he goes, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well spill the beans. He said, it's hard for me to be happy today because my home, my city is destroyed. The walls are falling down. The gates have all been burnt with fire. And, 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 and it's my home and it's destroyed. And the king said, well, no problem. We can fix that. And when you read Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1, it said, It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. I took up the wine, gave it to the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. It's really cool when you study Artaxerxes because he's not just a biblical figure. He is a major historical ruler. And there's lots and lots of writings about Artaxerxes the king. And they write in these extra biblical writings about him giving Nehemiah permission to go rebuild Jerusalem. And we have this specific date which is the beginning of the month Nisan. And I, I don't want to bore you with all the, all the statistics, but here's what's really cool, see? Because a biblical year, as I've shown you, is 360 days. Well, you've got 69 sevens. So if you take 69 times seven, that's 483 years. But we've got 360 days in each one of them years. So if you take 360 days times 483 years, you come up with this massive number, 173,880 days. People that are smarter than I'll ever be swear that that is the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. On the very day that hundreds of years before Daniel said, Messiah is going to show up at the end of 69 weeks. Is it any wonder why Jesus said 
he beheld the city and he wept over it. And he said, if thou had known, even thou at least in this thy day, the thing, if, ah, Jerusalem, if you just understood what today was, if you just understood who I am, you'd figure this out right now. It's, it's Jesus is riding into Jerusalem through the gate beautiful by the Kidron Valley on the very day that Gabriel told Daniel Messiah was going to present himself years before. I, I found something fascinating in study this week. This is 2 Chronicles 33 and verse 7. I'll, I'll read the end of the verse. In, his, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Now, if, if you were here Wednesday, if you've been here for the next couple, last couple of weeks, I, I, I've talked to you about a word called Bereshit, which is the, the, the first word in the Bible. In, in our Bible it says in the beginning, but does not there. It's basically in beginning. So if you really believe the Bible... And the word of the Lord was given to Moses, especially those first five books called the Torah or the law. Then the first thing God said to Moses was Bereshit. And, 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 and it, it, it's an amazing word. And, and the fourth letter in Bereshit is this letter. It's the, it's the Jewish letter Shin. This is, this, is, this is where the basis of the word Shaddai uh, Shaddai means heaven. So when you say El Shaddai, El is a contraction of Elohim. So El Shaddai is the God of all the heaven. But this, this, this letter, Sheen, is literally a, a shorthand for the name of God. And, and, it, and it's really amazing because you have to realize Jerusalem is built on hills. And of course, between hills are valleys. And in ancient Jerusalem, this is the way it looked. Here you've got the city here, and you've got, you've got the temple over here to the right. But there's three valleys that converge. Right, right, this is this Jerusalem. They're built on top of these hills. To the right is the Kidron Valley. Through the middle is called the Middle Valley or the Tyropian. And to the left is the Hinnom Valley. But this is what's really cool. If you take a pencil and you just start marking it up, this is what happens. It's there that literally geographically God put his name on the city. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating because there's, there's so much scripture going on here. So I can prove to you Jesus comes into Jerusalem and, 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 and he's gathering his disciples on the evening of Tuesday. After supper, they sing a song which I've shown you years ago, was called the Great Halal, comes out of Psalms. Then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he would pray and, and, and relinquish his will. It's after coming out of that prayer meeting that Judas said, that's him right there. And he betrays the Lord and he's rested coming out of a prayer meeting. Wow. And, and so it's that night, all that night, he has shuffled back and forth between Pilate and Herod. He's whipped. He has to be crucified before the sun sets on the next day. I know that because while he's on the cross, the sun eclipsed prematurely. And it's like the sun refusing to shine on its creator. And, and, and one of those guys saying, surely this was the son of God. 
Oh, this is all happening through Tuesday night. And the crucifixion is on Wednesday. And, 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 and because the next day is holy as well, unleavened bread. They're trying to break the femurs. They're trying to break these big bones in his leg. Because he's nailed through the ankles. And even though it's crude, he can still push up off of that, those nailed ankles. And can lift up his diaphragm. And he can expectorate. He can spit. But when they break the legs of someone crucified, they, they, they're just hanging and they can't lift up their diaphragm. And so they can't, all this fluid and this goo and this phlegm, you're going to drown by double pneumonia in your own fluids. But when they came to Jesus, they were stunned because it, it, it says in John 19 and 33, when they saw that he was dead, they broke not his legs. And I'll tell you why. Because all the way back in Exodus chapter 12, when the first Passover happened in Egypt, it says, In one house shall it be eaten, and thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of that house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. This is also found in the book of Psalms. There's all of this coming together. He dies on Wednesday evening, so he's in the grave. It's, it says, in, it, it, where is it, where, where, where Joseph, it, here's Matthew 27, when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, which also himself was Jesus' disciple, and laid it in his own new tomb. It's got to be Wednesday evening, because I've got to get three nights, and I've got to get three days. So I've got Wednesday night, I've got Thursday, I've got Thursday night, I've got Friday, I've got Friday night. Now I've got three nights, three days. Now something fascinating is going on because somewhere late in the night of what we would call the early morning of Saturday, Jesus was resurrected. I know that because it said early the first day of the week and the first day of the week was Sunday because the Sabbath was always Saturday. So it's got to happen somewhere late in the Saturday night coming into the morning. They come to the tomb and they said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is risen. He is not here. It's, it's, it's all there. It's, do, do you get what I'm saying? He shows up on the 10th. This is when coming into Jerusalem, they're, they're throwing down their, 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 their palms. And if they didn't have palms, they've got coats. The interesting thing is palm trees don't grow in Jerusalem because the elevation is too high. Palm trees grow in Jericho. So these people, boy, what a great scripture for worship. These people already knowing I've got to worship when I get there, broke limbs off the palm trees and brought them proudly to Jerusalem because he's coming into Jerusalem and they said, Hosanna, blessed be thou. You have come in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Here is our Lord riding on this donkey just like Zechariah said he was going to. On the very day that Gabriel told Daniel years ago he was going to show up into a city that literally has his name geographically printed on it with people saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, crucified on Passover, in the grave on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruits. Amen. I have a good friend named Jack Cunningham. Pastors in Newport News, Virginia. 
He took Brother Tenney before Brother Tenney died. Brother Tenney always wanted to see the new Jamestown excavation. They thought the original Jamestown, 1607, they thought Jamestown had been washed away by the encroaching water from the Chesapeake Bay. But there was a man that said, no, I don't believe that. And they started excavating. Guess what they found? They found the original Jamestown. And as they're going through the rubble, they found this. (laughs) And when my friend... Jack Cunningham and Brother Tenney walked in and they knew they were Pentecostal preachers. They said, do you have any idea what that means? And he said, oh yeah, we do. Because it is obvious the very first people that settled in this country knew a scripture that said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what today is? Do you understand what the Lord has done? The puppet master of the universe, whose your times are in his hands, your steps are ordered. You're not here to hear me preach. You're not here to hear these people sing. God has orchestrated this day for you to have an understanding. That Bible is right. I can trust that Bible. That message is true. Oh my God. What's it going to take? Stand with me. What's it going to take to push you over the edge? What is it going to take to convince you? What are you going to have to go through to understand what this elder of mine said years ago? Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and be filled with the Spirit and speak with tongues. We're right. We're right. Ladies and gentlemen, The most important decision you make will not be where you go to college. I I, I don't mean this trivializing, but I don't don't care what your alma mater is. the, The most important decision you make is not what career you've chosen. It will not even be who you choose to marry or where you choose to live. The most important question is where will you spend eternity? And you have been given these non-refundable fragments of eternity called time. Enough of them to have some modicum of success, some degree of failure. Your wins, your losses, your do's, your don'ts, your yeses and your no's, your great decisions and your horrible ones. Have you lived long enough to realize I can't do this by myself? I can't save myself. I can't remit my own sins. I'm on trial for my life here. I need a defense attorney. I got good news for you. The Bible said we have an advocate for Jesus Christ. The original language translated and he says, defense attorney. <laughs> He's on your side. And I'm doing the best I know how to pray and to study and to not just give you hallelujah, 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 but to try and go through that word and help you to have confidence in that word that it's right and that he's watching over it to perform it. And I'm, I, I, I hate confrontation. I do, my stomach goes in knots. But I'm right in your grill right now. And I'm right in your face and say, have you repented of your sins? Have you been water buried in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been filled with the Spirit? So filled that it comes out of your mouth and magnifies that God in a language you don't know. That's power. That's power. That's power. Come with me around this altar. Come worshiping. Come magnifying. For goodness sakes, don't just let the Jews have the advantage of the word. Get in that word.
study it. You got a brain? Am I lying to you? Then run. Get out of here if I'm lying to you. But if what I'm telling you is true and accurate, you've got a decision to make. You've got a choice that you have to settle. You've got to figure this out. And you don't. I got calls. I got calls, texts from all over the country about Wednesday night. And I realize it's controversial. And I realize there's a lot of opinions, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't care what your approach to prophecy is. We're running out of time. We are running out of time and we don't have much of it left. Let's redeem the time. Don't waste this day. Don't, 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 don't miss Jesus. He's right here, just like he said he would be. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to be in the midst of them. We're going to sing. I want you to worship. If you've never repented, you need to repent now. You need to just say, God, i got to have your help. I, I have botched this up. I have messed this up. I, I, I cannot do this with my education. I can't do this with my finance. I can't do this with my own ability. I need your help. Sing.